uh, really glad to have you here. We're doing the seven deadly sins. We're talking about lust. And by the way, welcome to the 11 o'clock service uh, or the nine o'clock service because you forgot to change your clock and you went to Starbucks and killed an hour and came back. Either way, welcome. We're glad you're here. The uh, search has been made and the world's perfect man has been announced. I know this is going to shock you, but it wasn't me. It was Mr. Potato Head. He's the world's perfect man. Think about it. He's tan. He's cute. He knows how to accessorize. And if he ever looks at another woman, you can rearrange his face. <laughs> this lust thing is difficult. The seven deadlies is, uh, is something that was, a, it's not a list that's in the Bible. It's a list that was put together in the Middle Ages by a group of theologians who were looking for the, um, you know, what are the, what are the seven big things? Seven's a good biblical number. What are the seven big things that get in the way of our relationship with God? Well, what are the things that are, that are deadly to us? I know a lot of you grew up with the whole mortal venial sin thing and the, you know, the Catholic system of these are, these are mortal. Listen, I want to tell you something. All sin is mortal. All sin, is, all sin leads to death. These sins are not the more mortal ones. They're not the more deadly ones. These are the ones that, 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 that get in the way of our relationship with God more than anything else. It's a death-causing attitude, all right? And, and lust is really, really simple because Jesus said some... Lust and anger, I mean, you can't argue with lust and anger because Jesus said some very serious things in the Sermon on the Mount about lust. You have heard it said, he said... That you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Don't just gouge it out and leave it laying there because you might put it back, I guess. I don't know. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I think all of my life and maybe all of your life, I probably read that scripture and I thought, man... You know, how does the grace thing and the cross covering, you know, all the sins, and, and I know there were adulterers in the Bible that, that I know are in heaven, you know, I mean, David and, and so forth, so, so it just didn't make any sense to me, unless you understand it in the light of the fact that hell is about now as well as later, and that grace covers all sins, it doesn't matter whether it's lust or adultery, grace is going to cover it. But the problem is, it would be better for what he's saying is, and, and I'll tell you some stories and we'll talk about this today, it would be better for you to, to not be able to see than to have to live in a life of hell because of the seven deadly sins, because of lust. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. We know this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what we've been talking about in this series is that eternal life is not just about forever after we die. It's great. I can't wait because I'm going to go to a place where I'm going to have a new body and there's going to be no sin and no more death and no more crying or mourning or pain. The old order of things just passed away. I can't wait for that, okay? But I could have eternal, uh, eternal life means it includes right now. So I can have eternal heaven starting right now, or I can have eternal hell starting right now. It's really kind of up to me. When Jesus said, I've come to give them life, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, he was not saying, I have come to give them life, so you guys just endure your life here on this earth, because then when you die someday, I mean, if that's the case, why are we still here? There must be eternal life, there must be life to the full available for us right now. And a lot of times people tell me, well, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just a human and, and I, can't, you know, I, can't, I can't conquer these sins in my life because I'm a human being. I want to tell you something. The, the, the Apostle Paul said, we know that our old self, this is right after he talks about baptism, and if you haven't done baptism, we will do mass baptism Palm Sunday, like we always do, and we are also, I mean, we're also available to make it happen anytime because it's this beautiful symbol of what goes on in your heart when you die and you rise up again. He said, we know that our old self was crucified with him 
so that the body that was ruled by sin previously might be done away with and we would no longer be slaves to sin. That doesn't have to happen anymore. Now, not like after we die, but now. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, you are under grace. I'm not ruled by the law anymore. I'm ruled by grace, and grace is a power. It's not just amazing grace, how sweet the sound, you know, that saved a wretch like me. It's a power that I live in that enables me to not live in hell anymore. And that's not just after I die, that's now. So, so don't, you know, don't sit there and look at me like, well, you know, I can't do anything about it. I'm just stuck. I'm just stuck in this sin. I'm stuck in this thing. Um, I got, I got this video. I, I feel like sometimes we're like this dog in this video. That's what I come home to. Trash has been gone through. It's my fault. I left it or I, I left it kind of full. So my question is, who, who did it? Who's the culprit? We got a couple options. Let's see. We got Gib. And we got Xena. What about Tank? I wonder if Tank had anything to do with it. Tank, do you know about the trash? <laughs> I think it was Tank, okay? What I feel like is as I'm preaching about these issues, you're all just kind of staring at me with this trash can lit around your head like, dude, you have no idea. I, I, I have so many problems with this. And guess what? We're going to talk about it today. And here's what I want you to understand, all right? Jesus never told us that we should try to pretend to not be sexual beings, okay? He never told us, you know, to, to deny it. You know, some churches teach it, you know, once you become a Christian, that, that the body of sin might be done away with means you're never going to be tempted, and that is so not true. It is so not true. These sexual things are going to come. Martin Luther, I love this quote from Martin Luther. He said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head. You can keep it from making a nest there. Right? That's the difference between seeing a, you know, a lustful object or a person or allowing it to become lustful. And lust is large in our world. There's not a whole lot of things you can do about it. 70% of the advertising involves sexuality some way or another. Many of you were subjected to pornography early on in your life and it started kind of a track for you or maybe you were abused or maybe even a worse situation where these things are going on. What I want you to understand is we're all subjected to the images today, all right? I can't imagine what, you know, if you brought Peter and James and John to the 21st century today, you brought the disciples to the 21st century or the Apostle Paul and said, hey, check this out, they would be, they would be blown away. They would literally be blown away. I saw a quote from Will Rogers this week. It said, now, I never imagined in my life that girls would be getting sunburned in places that they are like they are today, you know? I mean, this is the change that he saw in his life. So it's around us. And, and the temptation is not a sin, okay? It is not because the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways like us. I know it's hard for you to wrap your, wrap your brain around the fact that the Son of God must have seen at least one time, uh, you know, a desirable woman and, and the bird flew through his head, you know? Uh, more than once, I'm, I'm very sure. He was surrounded by them all the time, 33-year-old single guy, okay? When he died, remember this? He was tempted like us, yet he did not sin. And the second thing you need to understand about this temptation thing is that God didn't bring it. The, 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 the writer of James, who is probably Jesus' brother, said, nobody should say God is tempting you. 
When you go out to the mailbox and the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue is there, God didn't send that. Okay? You subscribe to it, you moron. You're the idiot. Okay? It didn't come from God. Okay? But what is happening when we're tempted? He describes it, James does. He says, here's how temptation works, and we're going to unpack this today. Each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. He's dragged away and enticed, and then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And we're going to talk about that today, but I got the band out here because if, if you've heard the radio at all in the last six months, you've heard this Imagine Dragons song. And, and if you get to really look at the lyrics to the, to the demon that's deep inside of us, it is exactly what we're talking about with the seven deadly sins. So let's listen and then we'll unpack this. That's what I'm talking about. Don't get too close because it's dark inside. I, I, that's, that's what I'm talking about. So what, what I want to do is I want to break this down a little bit, okay? I want to break this down as, as the term that it is, because when I looked up the Greek on this whole thing, this whole idea of enticed and dragged away, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed is a fishing term. It's a fishing term. It's, a, it's about using bait to lure you away. I mean, don't you wonder about fish sometimes? Don't, don't you think that at some point that bass down in the lake is going to go, you know, I see that shiny thing, but the last time my friend ate one of those, I never saw him again. <laughs> but they don't do that, do they? You know why? Because fish are not very bright creatures, right? They have short-term memory loss. We found that out from Dory and Nemo, right? <laughs> I have short-term memory loss. It runs in my family. At least I think it does, right? Well, you know what? As I deal with the aftermath of lust and, and human sexuality, I got to tell you, I think um, we're just as dumb as fish. I, I, I see this a lot. I mean, we hit on this thing over and over again. We know, we know the stories. I think Satan uses lust probably more than anything else. And again, this is not just about, you know, it's not just about sexuality. It probably mostly is, but it's about anything forbidden. It's about that shiny thing that looks so good that I want, that I want to put into my life. It's really interesting because there are some great analogies to temptation and fishing if you really think about it, okay? For one thing, you've got to choose the best place and the best time. I mean, a good fisherman knows the best place to go. He's got his depth finder, right? He knows where the fish are. He knows that the crappie are going to be underneath the branches or the bass is going to be over here or whatever, the muskie's going to be or whatever he's fishing for. He knows where they're likely to be and he's going to go to that place. And he also knows the right time of day. That's why I don't fish, because you've got to get up early and sit in a boat and hope something's going to happen. And fishing and ADD just don't work together very good, you know? So, so, but if you're a fisherman, you know it's early in the morning or maybe it's at dusk and different fish hit at different times, and he's got to know that. Well, guess what? Satan knows the same thing, doesn't he? He knows when your energy is depleted, your morale is low. He knows when you're going to be depressed. He knows when you and your spouse have had a fight. He knows when you are the most susceptible to this lure. He knows when that is. And he also knows the places where you're going to likely be, that he can tag you as easily as he wants to. So he knows the best time and place. That's pretty obvious. The next one is you've got to choose the best lure. All right, this is a bass lure. This is specific, you know, for a specific type of fish. This is why there is a bass pro shop, you know, because there are different lures. I know if you don't fish, you don't get this, but there are different lures for different kinds of fish. 
I was just thinking, you know, speaking of bringing somebody from the, you know, first century into the 21st, could you imagine taking Peter, James, and John to Bass Pro Shop? <laughs> They'd be like, what? All we did was throw nets out, you know, and we ate what we caught. It didn't really matter. But no, we know how to do this. We've got the science. This is a bass lure, and when you hit, it's got a little popper in the, the, the mouth of this thing makes a little popping noise so that they can hear it and it's shiny and it's really really fascinating to me is that you know almost always a uh, a lure like this is going to have a skirt on it that hides the hook you know what i'm saying I don't know if you ever thought about that or not, but Satan always tempts us with the things that look good and they look pretty, and he never tells us about the hook that's underneath there, does he? And having the right lure, of course, is not enough. He's got to know, we got to know how to use the lure. You got to know how to cast it and, and bring it in. You know, you don't want it to make too much noise when you plop it in, and you don't want it, you, you, don't, you don't want to be too loud around there. You got to know how to work the lure. That's number three. You got to know how to work it. You gotta throw it in, you gotta, you know, get it out to a certain depth, you gotta start reeling it in, don't worry if I'm not gonna, like, play cast on you. Um, it, it, is, it is an art form, I mean, most beginning fishermen are just gonna throw it out there, and they're just gonna, you know, start reeling it in, and then they're gonna go back and they're gonna do it again, and they're just gonna keep going and keep going and keep going, and, and that's not the way it works, you gotta, you gotta work it a little bit at a time, and then let it go. What does Satan do? He says, oh, just a little bit, you know, just, what would it be like? Don't you wonder? And all of a sudden we're hooked. Let me be very clear again. It's not about seeing it. You can't help seeing it. The lure is there and it is alluring. But we've got to stay away from it because number four in the fishing analogy is embeds the hook. You take a bite. Now you know if you've been fishing, sometimes they grab it and that you can feel them, hit it, and you don't get them because you haven't got the hook in there. Sure, every once in a while, you may be able to hit that hook and get away from it and realize, oops, that was a bad idea, and swim away. But usually what happens is we chomp down on it, and, and, and the funny thing about the fish is, at first when the fish chomps down on it, he doesn't know, right? He doesn't have any idea. He thinks, well, that didn't taste very good. It tastes like metal, and that's not really my favorite. But then he just starts to swim off, and then the fisherman yanks the line, and the hook is embedded. And you will only go so far before you reach the end of the line and you're going to get drug in. It's only going to be so many times that you can hit or you can play around with that and the hook is going to be in your mouth. And your spouse is going to find out. It's going to be a sexually transmitted disease. It's going to be a, you know, a pregnancy test that didn't turn out the way that you hoped it would. Glenn Close makes stew out of your pet rabbit. You know, <laughs> Something. The old... Proverbs says your sin is going to find you out and the hook is going to be in your mouth at some point. And then you're up to level five, which is the fight. Then the fight ensues. And you think, well, maybe I can get away or maybe I can't and I'm going to keep going. And sometimes the fisherman will let the line out again and then pull you back in. And there's a fight. If you've done any deep sea fishing, you got to let them fight and fight and fight until they finally get worn out enough that you can get them in. And, and Satan is great at that. He doesn't care. He'll struggle with you. He'll, 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 he'll beat it out with you. He'll let you take a little bit of line and run away and then pull you back in again. And eventually you're going to be exhausted. And let me, let me help you understand something here. If you know fishing at all, Satan does not practice catch and release. He never does, does he? 
He wants every trophy he possibly can, and he's going to mount it. He's going to mount that fish, and he's going to put it up on his wall of fame because he wants you with him. I don't know why. I don't know why he wants to take as many people to hell with him as he possibly can. It's probably the lure of lust in his own life, if you think about it. He wants to have as many people around him as he can, and he is going to snag you, and he's going to put you on his wall, and you could see the wall. I mean, think about the wall that the lure of lust has caught, the wall of fish, you know, the, the, the pastors, the athletes, the housewives, the politicians, the people you thought were innocent and sweet, the people that you would have never guessed, and all of a sudden they're hooked by the lure of lust. And Satan is very patient with us, but he's going to get us in. Eventually, it's going to lead to the last stage, which is death. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed, and then after that is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Okay, notice the desire is not sin. There's a desire, whoa, okay, there's the lure. Then it turns to sin in our mind, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I I read a story this week. There's a a guy who was a zookeeper wrote this story about raccoons and how dangerous they are. He said, um, Bandit was irresistible. No raccoon ever existed that had more natural cute than this 90-day bundle of mischief. When my neighbor Julie bought him at the pet store, she was sure they'd be lifelong friends. Everywhere she went, he was usually perched on her shoulder. Eighteen months passed, and Bandit was a strapping 25-pound adolescent raccoon, still full of mischief and play. I mentioned Julie and Bandit to our zoo veterinarian one day, and his reply floored me. It was a warning. He said, raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months, and after that they become very unpredictable independent and often attack their owners. Well, since a 30-pound raccoon could be equal to a 100-pound dog in a fight, I felt compelled to mention the change coming to Julie. She listened politely as I explained the coming danger, and I'll never forget her answer. It'll be different for me, she said. And she smiled. She said, Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie had to go through plastic surgery for Facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon turned on her for no apparent reason, and he was released into the wild. I mean, that, that's what this does. That's what the allure of lust does. It doesn't look very bad. Oh, it would never hurt me. And then all of a sudden, bam, I actually have a video of that very moment with the raccoon. <laughs> Just Just kidding. <clears throat> figured you need to laugh right about here. I've been reading a lot of stories about, you know, lust and death and and this sin leading to death thing. None more graphic. I was reading one preacher talking about a friend of his who was a, a guy who had gotten involved in pornography accidentally. He was walking down a train track one day and somebody had discarded a pornographic magazine and and he picked it up. And, you know, he was like eight years old, seven, eight years old, and that was the hook for him. And he started getting into it more and more and more. So by the time he and this guy met each other, the other man, the, the man who was involved in the pornography, his name was Mark, 
They met at college. They met their freshman year at college, and they got together, and he said Mark was a, you know, he was an athlete. He was a great student. He was a great Christian guy, and I was a Christian, and he was just had everything. And he said, so when we got together, Mark said, listen, I need, to, I need to confess something. I've got a problem with porn, and I want you to hold me accountable. Let's hold each other accountable. And this was back in the days before the internet even. And so they were accountability partners for the four years of college, and it went really well. And the long story short is that Mark got involved in, in ministry, and he ended up marrying this beautiful girl and having this wonderful family, and he went off to do ministry, and both of them went off to do ministry, and they didn't really stay in touch very much at that point because they had a lot of things going on, and, you know, they, they just didn't stay close. Well, what happened was when Mark got off into ministry, he was all by himself. He didn't have his accountability around him. Um, it's hard to, you know, when you're a small congregation, it's hard to confide in some of your friends, you know, hey, I got a problem with pornography. So they... Um, was nobody around him to keep him from it, and he ended up kind of delving back into it, falling back in for the lure of lust because it was something that was so ingrained in his brain. And one day he was at the video store. This was, you know, VHS days. He was at the video store, and he tried to shoplift a porn DVD, and he got caught. And, of course, the church in a small town, they, they, there wasn't much grace in that. They fired him immediately. He and his wife became estranged from each other. You know, it was just a horrible situation, which did nothing but drive him deeper into the, the pornography. And he said, I got, it, I got deeper and deeper into the pornography. He got, he got to the point where, you know, the normal stuff didn't work. He wanted more. He wanted to get more. And it got, it got weirder and more violent. And, and it got to the point where he, you know, he said, the stuff that I was seeing in the beginning never would do it for me. And by this time, the Internet's come along. And, and he could get images anywhere he wants to. And he started going to, you know, he started going to clubs and bars and meeting girls, and he'd go home with them. And, and then if he'd meet a girl and she didn't want to take him home or didn't, you know, didn't want to hook up, he, he would, he would fo start following her to her home and, and, and being outside imagining what could have been going on inside. And then that led to finally this moment when he literally broke into a woman's home and raped her. And that's when they reconnected. This guy said, I was, I was just blown away that this could have gone this far. And he said, Mark called me to say, I've taken all my money out of my bank account. I'm going downtown to find somebody to kill me because my family won't get any insurance money if I commit suicide. I can't deal with this. I need somebody to kill me. On his way down, he got arrested and now he's in prison. And, and this guy that was writing the story said, I, I remember visiting Mike in a prison cell, you know, in the orange garb behind the plexiglass, thinking, if Mike could go there, I could go there. He was every bit as strong as I am and every bit as weak as I am. The story doesn't necessarily have to be any different for me. That is the sin that leads to death. That's what I'm talking about. So how do you keep from getting caught up in it? Let me give you some lust busters. Some of these are going to be pretty obvious, and then I hope the end ones are going to really help maybe take you to a new level. The first one is you've got to own up to it. All right? You've got to own up to it. Minister and his family were walking on the beach in Daytona one day, and their uh, skimp, you know, skimpy bikini woman came walking by, and uh, you know, the minister saw her, and he turned to his wife and said, how disgusting. And his wife said, well, if it was so disgusting, why did you look? And their little boy said, I think dad likes to be disgusted. <laughs> Could you just do that right now? Could you just own up to it? I mean, whatever it is that's going on. You know, this is Alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous here, okay? This is Lust Anonymous. Hi, my name is Tim, and, and, and I like to be disgusted. That's how we start. If you don't get past that, you never get any help. 
Number two, we guard our eyes, okay, as best we can. We guard our eyes. I mean, when you start looking at the stories of the Bible of people that succumb to the lure of lust, it is unbelievable. For example, there's Samson. I mean, Samson, never was there someone in the history of humanity other than Jesus Christ who was more gifted and was given more ability to be able to be a great leader and a great person for God. I mean, he was given physical strength, he was given, you know, he was given good looks, he was given everything, given leadership ability, and so you would think that when you find the story of Samson in the Old Testament, that that the first words out of Samson's mouth would be, you know, come on Israel, we can go beat the Philistines, or I believe that God is mighty, or something, you know, brilliant like that. You know what the first words out of Samson's mouth are? I have seen a woman. (laughs) That's the first recorded words of Samson. I've seen a woman. Hey there, Delilah. Right? And if you don't know the story, Delilah, you know, the, the hairdresser cut his hair, took him down, and, and, and literally it is one of the greatest examples of what might have been in the Bible. Why? Because of this. I mean, and you look at, um, you know, it, it all comes in through the eyes. You look at David. David, it it was spring, the Bible says. It was spring, the time when kings go off to war. But David didn't go off to war. He stayed home. He was back home in the palace. He wasn't looking for Bathsheba to be bathing nearby, but Satan knew that he was there, right? He knows the best time and place to catch the fish. So Bathsheba happened to be taking a bath on the roof next door, and the consequences of that the death of their kid, the rape of his daughter, the misconduct of his kids, the kingdom almost blowing apart, all of those things because of this. And then you get to Solomon, his son, who, who ended up with 300 wives. I've seen a woman. How about 300 wives and 700 concubines? He had 1,000 women. It didn't seem to be enough for him. And that's what blew up the kingdom of God. That's what I'm talking about. That's why this is so important. Jesus said the eyes have to be guarded because they're the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Don't get too close. It's dark inside, Imagine Dragon said. And if the light within you isn't really light, it's dark, then how great is that darkness going to be? So what do we do? Well, we have to guard our eyes. Job in the Old Testament said this is a great line. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. That was a lot easier for him back then. What do we do? I mean, we're bombarded every day by thousands of images all around us, and there's only a little bit of, you know, things that you can do about it. You can't help driving down the road and seeing a billboard. You can't help, you know, reading a magazine and having an ad. You can't help those things, unless it's Sports Illustrated. You can't help those things, okay? Uh, you, You can't help it. But the things that you can guard, you should guard. If you don't have a filter on your internet, you're a moron. There you go. I just called you a moron, Okay. It used to be that pornography was limited to the, the, the back room of the video. It, it used to be limited to the underneath the truck stop, you know. Uh, here, here, maybe this will be an easier way for me to describe it. The Chinese proverb says, He who does not want to fall down should not walk in slippery places. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's, that's moronic, okay? If you, don't have, if you don't have a filter, and hey, guess what? You get the internet on your phone, too. I want to tell you something. I'm a 52-year-old guy. Some of you are like, well, you're too old to worry about lust. Yeah, I know. Forget about that. Uh, I'm a 52-year-old pastor 
of a church with a doctorate in ministry, and I like to be disgusted. So I have a filter on everything I have. And if I go on a website, like for example, I, I couldn't remember what Fatal Attraction was even called. I wanted to use that line about Glenn Close, so I had to do a search for movies about adultery. <laughs> I immediately emailed my brother-in-law and said, by the way, if you, get a, if you get an email from our accountability thing saying Tim was looking, this is why I did it. Because that's exactly what will happen. If I go on anywhere, somebody's going to know about it because I like to be disgusted. And I've got to tell you something. I love it because I don't have to worry about it. This is not going to show up on my internet. And if I decide to go looking for it, somebody's going to know about it. You see how beautiful that is? And, and hey, you, you can be mad at me for calling you a moron, but Jesus said... Gouge your eye out. All I'm saying is guard them. All I'm saying is getting a filter, okay? I'm not saying gouge your eyes out. You decide what you want to do. I'm thinking this is a little bit better, okay? And parents, if you have kids with iPads and iPhones and, and devices and, and the ability to get to the internet, they don't have to go looking for it. It'll pop up on their screen. You have to have something for them. And don't sit there and go, oh, well, you know, I don't want my kids to think I don't trust them. Hey, when they were babies, did you put those little plugs on top of the outlets so that they couldn't stick their finger in them? It's the same thing, okay? Be the parent. Make sure you got this covered. Guard their eyes. Guard your eyes. Because you like to be disgusted. Number three, run from the obvious opportunity. Oh, I didn't tell you what they were. Um, covenant eyes is what I'm using right now. Uh, covenant eyes, it's a pain. If I, like I tried to click on my, uh, my boarding pass for my flight this week and, and I can't click over, I got to copy it and paste it and go into this other program. It's a pain, but it's worth it for me because I know I never have to worry about anything. Covenant Eyes and xxxchurch.com are two of them that I would recommend to you. You can go out there and find them, but those are just two, all right? Number three, run from the obvious opportunity. Anytime a person other than your spouse makes an advance on you, anytime there's a place, it may mean changing jobs. It may mean being in a completely different place. Maybe you're at a job where there's porn all around you. Maybe you're in a place, you know, maybe, maybe you constantly go to a bar where there's somebody who is you're really attractive to you, then stop going there, a health club, whatever it is. Run from the obvious opportunity. It's better to run. It's better to gouge your eye out than to live in hell and live with the consequences of what's going to happen happen. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just coming clean with you. We also have accountability rules about the people in, that work for us. If you ever see any of my staff out with any of the other staff uh, or out with another person of an opposite sex in a compromising place, I absolutely want you to tell me because we have rules against, against that. You cannot, as a male staff member, you cannot ride in a car by yourself with a woman of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. And you're like, well, come on, man. They're just going to go to a meeting. Just, no, I don't care. No, you may not do that. Uh, that's, that's how we do it. We're just going to set that right up. We're going to run from the obvious opportunity. Now, we had a small groups guy, Mark Howell, a couple of years ago. He was coming back from lunch. Bill and I were coming back from lunch, and Mark was getting out of his car with a blonde. And I knew Debbie was a brunette, and, and I was like, you know, I just kind of drove by, and I just kind of noticed there was a blonde getting out of the car. And so I pulled my car into where I parked, and I went around to the front door because I, I was, I was going to rip him, you know, a new one. I, this was going to happen. And up walked Mark Howell and Pastor Richie.
It's an easy mistake, isn't it? <laughs> Run. Run from the obvious opportunity. In the story of Joseph, when we talked about the story last, week, last year, uh, you know, we talked about Joseph and how this woman, Mrs. Potiphar, kept coming after him. And finally, the Bible says that he ran away from her. He said, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this against God or your husband. And finally, it says, Joseph left his coat in her hand and ran out of the house. Finally, that's what it took, was just to run away. And that may be what it is for you. Number four, establish accountability. Establish accountability, right? This is really important. You need to understand that you've got to have accountability in your life for the things that are going on. You've got to have accountability with some people in your life. Really, really important that you do this. I think this is, this is so important for me. I have people in my life that I'm accountable to. They hold me accountable. I've got the stinklings that you guys know about. Three other pastors from around the country. We're in each other's business every single day. It is that important to us. We're talking about things. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man's sh- the countenance of one man sharpens another. In other words, I'm going to be a better tool if I've got people in my life that are sharpening me. So I've got that. And again, my brother-in-law is going to get the email if I'm going online to do something I shouldn't be. I also have a, a recommendation for you. We have this available for you out there, the Rhema uh, book. Rhema is the, the word for the word in the Bible. And um, it's an app that was actually created and a book that was created by Justin Ozinga from our congregation because he wanted to help us fill our lives up with the word. If you're struggling with anger and you need joy, there's all the scriptures right there. Boom, you just click on them and you can read them. It's a beautiful app. It's really, really a great app. But my favorite part of this app is the broken arrows feature. The broken arrow feature is if you're in a situation where you're like, oh man, I'm being really tempted right now, boom, you can click on the broken arrow and it will automatically, that's a military term, it will automatically send a text message to your accountability partner saying, hey, I'm I'm struggling here, I need your help. That's cool accountability. Number five, look past the lure of lust to the consequences, all right? I know this is pretty. But look past that to the consequences, positively and negatively. I mean, you know, look at the emotional and and physical guilt and turmoil that's going to go on. Think about the possible divorce that's going to happen. Think about your family. Think about, you know, my, my friend was telling me the other day, sometimes I think about what would it be like if I had to explain to my kids why their mom and I are getting a divorce, and it's because of me. Do you ever have those conversations in your head? Because that would be the way to help this. I talked with our staff about the end game recently. I wrote a blog about it, the end game. I was talking about our, my 30 years of marriage with, with Denise and how we look forward. Part of the ways that you do that is not by looking at the lure of right now. It's not about looking at what's going on right now. It's about looking at the end game. What do I want the end game of the, of the game to look like? It's a chess term. I, I want to get to the end. I want to be in, in, in rocking chairs you know, with my wife of 60 plus years years with the great-grandchildren and the great-great-grandchildren playing around us. That's the mental image I have in my mind. And when I have that mental image in my mind, then it changes everything now. How about just the immediate thing? Guys, let me just go off on this for a second, okay? Do you know what it's like for your wife to walk in and see you looking at porn on the internet? 
I mean, has that happened to you? Because if it has, I don't think you grasp how degrading that is to her to know that you're looking at another woman. What is that going to do to your marriage? How is that going to help? Is that the thing that God wants? And I'm not trying to be sexist at this. Guys, think about it. Put it on the other foot. What if you walk in and she's looking at it? What if she's got the lust thing going on? Let me, let me read this verse again. Okay, He says, when, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. That's why this is deadly. So the last part of this is to refocus your brain. You've got to refocus your brain. This is, I mean, we can, we can do all, all the things that we want to, but at some point, you're going to have to regroove your brain. You're going to have to redo your brain. Jesus said, if you have an evil spirit inside and, and it, gets, it gets taken out, you know, you get rid of the evil spirit. He said, you need to replace it with good stuff. This is Luke 11, my loose paraphrase. You need to replace it with good stuff because if you don't, that demon's going to go get his buddies and they're going to move back in. It's the, the old line about, you know, what happens if you don't pay your exorcist? You get repossessed. Boom, boom. That's what I'm talking about. It, it, you can't just get it out of here and say, okay, I'm, I'm getting it out today. You know, you still got a trash can lit around your head. I'm going to get it out today. No, you got to replace it with something good. Think about the good stuff. Think about the marriage. Think about the end game I'm talking about. Refocus your brain. Lori Hall wrote a book called An Affair of the Mind, and she talked about her husband, who was this very successful manager, had all the perks and everything else. And because of his fantasy life and because of pornography, he ended up losing everything, and he was working a minimum wage job. And she said, God, tell me what, what happened. And she said, God showed her a picture of her husband's brain. I mean, literally, she saw a vision of, of a brain, and, and it was smooth all the way around. It just had one deep groove right down the middle of it. And she said, I knew that was his fantasy track. That was exactly what was going on. That's who my husband had become. Everything had gone into this one groove in his brain. And we can refocus this. How, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, Paul told us we have to think on the things that are good and positive and just and honest. Not this, not this lure, not this shiny thing, but a new vision on the things that could be the things that ought to be. You know, if you ask me for directions to Wicker Park and I say, well, don't go to Valparaiso, that's not really very helpful, is it? What we need is a vision of what the, the, the life in Christ really ought to look like, the better life. I, I don't want to steal from Osteen's title, but your best life now, that, that's what I'm talking about, eternal heaven and eternal hell. That's what I'm talking about. That's why in the small group material, Casey and I have been talking about the difference between a symptom and a sickness. Lust is just a symptom of the sickness. The sickness is that we don't really believe that God knows how to live the best life. That's the sickness. We don't really believe Jesus when he told the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst, but the water I give him will be a well of water springing up to eternal life. Uh, we, we really don't believe it. That's why we keep sticking our head back in the trash can. We really, you know, this looks so good. I mean, yeah, you know, having a great long marriage might be great, but this is so hot. This is so right now. This is so awesome. Wouldn't this be awesome to see? Wouldn't this be awesome to do? No, no, Jesus said, I've got the water that's going to give you the best life you could possibly have. I'm going to help you. And the problem is, I don't see that. I don't see what God is doing. I don't see that if I give in to lust, if I give in to this thing, it's going to damage my marriage. And if I don't, it's going to make my marriage better. That's filling up with the better stuff. And, and singles, can I, 
Can I just be, I know this is hard because I'm not single. I've been married for 30 years, but I got to tell you something. The symptom is lust. The symptom is, is sleeping around. The sickness is you don't really believe that Jesus knows the best way to live your life. And you've gotten tired of waiting on him to bring the person into your life that, that he may or may not have for you. And you don't believe that Jesus and Paul, who are both single, said, you know what, this single thing might be the best idea for you. We really just don't believe him. That's the sickness. The symptom, that's the, that's the deadly part. This is why we have to have a bigger picture to refocus our brain. Because I don't care how grooved your brain is. I don't care how early you were subjected to, to pornography or lust or whatever's going on. You can dig new grooves in your brain. You can start to focus on the positive. You fill your mind up with scripture. You fill your mind up with the things of God. Classic story is the very first sin. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. God was going to provide absolutely everything they needed. And what happened? Eve focused on the smaller vision. She focused on the lure of the apple, the lure of the forbidden. And everything went down from there. I want to encourage you. I am Tim and I like to be disgusted. I have a trash can around my head just like you do. I want to encourage you, however, that we have the power, we have the grace available to us to live outside of that now. To live an abundant life now. I can live in eternal heaven starting now. I can beat those demons that live inside the darkness. I can focus my eyes on the light and let the light come in. This can happen. I promise you. We're going to have communion now. And, and, I, and I want to I want to tell you something because I know we all have trash can lids around our heads. So right about now we're like, oh man, I don't know if I should take communion, right? I don't know if I'm worthy of this. As I was thinking about it this week, I really believe, really believe something happened to Jesus when he came down to earth and lived among us. I mean, we know that, that, that he came to live among us for 33 years so that he could be a high priest who understands our, our weaknesses. We know this from the Bible. But I, I think the thing that might have surprised Jesus more than any of the weaknesses of the human flesh was the issue of sexual sin. And the reason I say that is because whenever you see anybody with sexual sin who comes into contact with Jesus, it almost seems like he's more gracious to them than he is anybody else. You know, a rich young ruler shows up, he's like, hey, go sell everything, Right? But, but, but when a woman who's caught in the act of adultery is brought before his feet, he says, hey, I don't condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Go, go and leave your life of sin. I mean, that, get away from the hell, okay? That's still the point. Gouge your eye out if you have to. Get away from that. But don't hear condemnation coming from me. When, when he's eating at the Pharisee's house and a woman of ill repute comes and, and, and starts crying and, and, and wipes his feet with her tears and her hair, everybody's like, Jesus, do you know, she should not be touching you. And basically Jesus said, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Go in peace. I think there's something, I think there's something about Jesus that understands our hearts and our souls and, and the lust and the lure more than you really get it. 
And he doesn't, want you to, he doesn't want you to fall for it, not because it's going to make him love you less, not because it's deadly because it's going to keep you out of heaven, not because he didn't already die on a cross for it. He doesn't want you to live there because he knows how your life is supposed to be lived. And he wants to turn to you and he wants to say, neither do I condemn you, but knock it off. Because this is not where you want to be. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, come to communion with trash can lids around our heads, we are reminded of the fact that we come with trash can lids around our heads every week. doesn't matter what we're talking about. doesn't matter what's going on. doesn't matter where, you, where your word is taking us this week. There's always going to be something in there where I'm thinking, I, I'm not doing that very well. Seven deadly sins couldn't, couldn't be any more. So. so we're reminded that we're saved by your grace that we live under grace, not under the law, that we're not judged by how good we are anymore. We're judged by the fact that we have a clean slate that was given to us by your blood that was shed. So as we take communion, remind us of that. And Lord, if there are people in this room, if there are people in this room who don't have you in their life, that they've never accepted you, that they've never taken this free gift, They've never fallen at your feet with their sin. Would you let them do that symbolically in their mind right now and pray, Jesus, I'm, I'm coming to you with the trash can lid around my head. I am a sinner. I like to be disgusted. Please save me. Please be my Savior. Please be my Lord. I'm going to follow you, not because being a disciple is going to make you like me better, but because being a disciple is the way I'm designed to live. And I know it's the best. Lord, be with us as we commune now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.